Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, happy Father's Day. I hope you fathers got your bacon and your I um, appreciate the men that came and been cooking that bacon, and they've got some special, I mean, that's a different kind of bacon. You know, it's, I, I like it, and so it's, it's not the kind you just get at some, at some store somewhere, so I appreciate that. Well, we're doing our study through Galatians. We're walking through this book this summer, and this is the third message. Jeff did a great job covering uh, the uh, end of chapter one last week, and, um, and so we're going to pick up in chapter two today. And today, you know, really the theme of the book of Galatians seems to be, don't give away your freedom, your freedom you have in Christ. And, and, uh, and we learned today that the gospel really is for everyone, and because Paul had this heart for the Gentiles, even though he did care about the Jews, whenever he went into a new city, he would immediately go to the synagogue, which that's where the Jews would be, and he would preach Jesus there. But then he would target the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and in sharing the gospel with them. So today, what I think what we're going to be focusing on in this passage is, is the need to understand the role of traditions and the cautions about traditions. And, uh, and often, and what we're going to see in this passage, some people confuse traditions with biblical truth. And what was happening in the Jewish community and happened over centuries, they had scripture, and then they started developing their traditions that they thought would help them keep biblical truth, you know, like the Ten Commandments, then eventually those traditions began to intermingle with Scripture, and they didn't distinguish between what God said and what man said, and even got to the point where their traditions became more important than God's Word, and they imposed their traditions on top of God's word. And that is something that even happens today, that we can take our traditions and try to impose them on scripture and impose them on other people's lives. Now, the problem occurs, now, I mean, traditions are fine. Traditions can be healthy. But the problem happens when you confuse or intermingle those traditions with biblical truth, especially it gets confusing when you've decided that your tradition helps you to honor a biblical truth, which is good. I mean, if a tradition helps you to honor a biblical truth, that's okay. The confusion comes when you believe everybody should accept your traditions as well that you want to impose your traditions on other people. Hey, if you're a real Christian, this is how you would be a real Christian. You do what I do. And, you know, real Christians, you know, you you don't wash your car and mow your yard on Sundays. Real Christians don't do that. Really? I mean, did did some of you grow up in a home like that? I did. 
I mean, and if you ever played cards on Sunday, oh my goodness, they had to be burned. <laughs> and uh, I, um, <laughs> there's a sweet lady who was a missionary named Bertha Smith, loved her dearly. She could teach you about prayer. And, uh, but sometimes she would have her traditions about how things were done. And she didn't believe women should wear open-toed shoes. And um, one time, Miss Bertha was flying in. I lived in Charlotte. She was flying in. She asked me, can you pick me up at the airport and take me home? And she lived in Calpin, South Carolina. And I said, sure. And uh, <clears throat> so Mary and I picked her up at the airport, drove her to, uh, drove her to Calpin's. And uh, she looked over at Mary, and she said, Mary, when's the last time you came to one of my prayer retreats? And Mary said, well, it's been several years now. And she looked down at her sandals. She said, I believe it's about time you came back. <laughs> well, you know, I can laugh about that, and I would laugh at her about it. But, you know, the point is, that was a tradition, not a biblical truth. And you have to be careful about that. And so when you impose your traditions on other people, that's not going to work out too well. And that can cause confusion. In fact, some people might accept your tradition and say, well, I'm a mature Christian because I'm keeping these traditions. And they may not even be a believer at all. They're just doing the traditions. I mean, you see people who... They go to church, they get baptized, they go to a small group, but they've never opened their heart to Jesus. They just do the traditions. And another caution about traditions is when you start judging others based on traditions, you're setting yourself up to do a lot of damage in that person's life. And you're doing something very inappropriate. Well, Let's begin. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. Now, Acts lets us know that Paul had been there a couple of times in, between, in that 14-year period, uh, like he took some offerings there to help the church. But he's not referring to that. He's referring to when he came back to meet with uh, the real pillars of the Christian church and the leaders. And, and so this, the first time he came to meet specifically with them, and now 14 years later, he's coming back to meet specifically with them. And so he brought Barnabas. Barnabas was his first ally, really. And he vouched for what Paul was doing uh, to the apostles in Jerusalem. And, uh, and then he became a traveling companion for Paul on his first missionary journey. Now, Titus, he's a different story. Titus was a spiritual child of Paul, and he was a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile, which this is going to be the whole point of what Paul is dealing with. And so Titus was fitting proof of the effectiveness of Paul's ministry. Now, verse 2. I went there because God revealed to me I should go. I, I, I really want to camp there just for a moment. My responsibility is to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. There are times 
When the Holy Spirit says, Don, I want you to go and I want you to interject yourself in this situation. There are other times when the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to do anything. In fact, I want you to keep your mouth shut. When you look at the life of Jesus, there are times he spoke up. And there are a couple of times he didn't say anything. And later in one of his prayers, Jesus said, Father, I've only said the words you've told me to say. He, he, he spoke God's words. And we as believers need to be the same way. I need to act at the movement of the Holy Spirit, not on my own emotions. When I act on my own emotions and I decide I'm going to interject myself here and I'm going to fix this, I find that I do more damage than I do good. Especially if I didn't even pray about it. Um, recently, I was going through some files on my computer and I found a letter that I had written eight years ago to a, a personal friend. And it was a pretty strong letter. And it's a letter I never mailed. And in that letter, I was basically confronting some things. And I out, actually outlined, I said, you know, if you don't deal with this, I think this is what's going to happen. And pretty much everything I said in there has happened. And, um, but there's a reason why I didn't mail that letter. I wrote it. I wrote it out of deep emotions. And when I prayed about it, God said, do not send that letter. I'm sitting there going, why? It's a good letter. He said, do not send that letter. But everything I say is true. Do not send that letter. And finally, God just said, it's not going to be received. And besides, you don't know what I'm doing in the process. This individual has set himself on a journey and I'm going to deal with it. If you interject, you may short circuit what I'm doing. Wow, that was a huge lesson for me. Sometimes when I want to interject myself, I may actually interrupt what God is doing in that person's life. Now, that's not an excuse to be lazy. <laughs> It's just an excuse to pray more. Before you confront, before you deal with, before you get in somebody's face, you better make sure the Holy Spirit led you to do it. And the Holy Spirit led Paul to go and have some very serious conversation with the church leaders. Very serious conversation. In fact, his entire work was dependent on this conversation, as we're going to read in a moment. So the goal is not for you to fix somebody the way you think they need to be fixed, but rather you join God in what he is doing in that person's life. Because I want to tell you, God cares more about that person than you do. And he knows better than you do about what needs to be done. You know, that's to me is one of the problems with emails today. We fire off an email so quick, we type and type and type, and we push send, and then it's too late. 
And how many times have you, you regretted it? Have you ever regretted sending an email? I have. Come back and bite you? Were you misunderstood? Absolutely. I have a hard, fast rule with our staff. Anytime you're dealing with a difficult issue with anybody in this church, you do not do it in an email. You pick up the phone. You set up a meeting. Because things are different when you're talking face-to-face than when you're doing it by email. It's just different. So, I didn't mail that letter eight years ago. I actually thought about mailing it now and write on it, I told you so. But that would have been self-serving, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I did not mail that letter. And so my, my advice to you is whenever you feel like you need to deal with somebody, write it down and then sit on it. But you pray. You do what God tells you to do so that you're a part of God's plan, not a hindrance to God's plan. Verse 2 again, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. He did that through the Holy Spirit. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So these leaders he's talking about is Peter James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and John. Those are the three leaders. And he was wanting them to support what he was doing in that that they were not going to require circumcision with salvation. Because there's these group of guys, called them Judaizers, and they were, they're wanting, you know, they were coming into the church there's a lot of debate with whether they true believers or not, but when you hear how, what they think salvation is, you have to say they're not. They were coming into the church and say, yeah, it's great you pray to receive Christ, but you've got to keep the Old Testament law as well. So that means you've got to get circumcised. If you're not, you're not a true believer. And so Paul didn't preach that. Titus was living proof, and that's, he was kind of like the test subject. That's why he brought Titus with him. He was the, the test individual about what they were going to say. And uh, because if they say, well, yeah, Titus needs to be circumcised, then that changed everything. And that means everything that Paul had been teaching was of no value because it's changed. Because he had been teaching, you're set free. You don't have to live by the law anymore. Jesus has saved you from that. He has saved you from those Old Testament rituals. He has set you free. Verse 3. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Now, those, those Judaizers, they infiltrated the ranks, so to speak. And, um, and they had two goals. They wanted to spy on the Gentiles and Paul and this freedom in Christ that they had. And their intent was to, you see, before Christ, they were slave to the Old Testament law. Jesus set us free from our sins. 
because we were really slaves to sin. He set us free from that. They were wanting to make everybody slaves again by imposing all these laws and rituals. But Jesus set us free from that. That's why it's wrong for you to impose on somebody else your traditions. They're fine if they're your traditions. If that's what helps you to grow faithfully, that's fine. But for you to interject and impose on somebody else and define their spirituality based on your traditions, regardless of what the scripture says, then you're just like these Judaizers. You're trying to rob somebody the freedom of their salvation and you're trying to make them a slave to a bunch of rules. Like women should only wear closed shoes. How many sinners do we have today in church? Women, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I posted a picture coming back from California from the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Somebody was sitting next to me and the first thing they did was propped up their bare feet. This lady right up where I could enjoy them. And and yeah, I took a picture and I posted it. (laughs) Verse 4. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones. So Paul obviously didn't believe that these Judaizers were believers. They were false believers who secretly brought, brought in. They, they kind of snuck their way into the conversation. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, their traditions. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. You know, it's amazing how traditions sneak, sneak in. Years ago... Back when the church, um, you know, money was tight and we would, we'd have to think through what bills we're going to pay this week. And um, this, this individual um, who had been coming to church for a couple of years, they, um, they, weren't, they were a fairly new Christian, um, but they, they called me. And they said, hey, I want to go to lunch. I said, sure. So we ate lunch. And he said, I I really don't like the translation you use on Sunday. I said, really? Why? He said, well, I just don't like the way they do pronouns. I said, well, let me help you with that. Uh, If you go back to the Greek and Hebrew, this is the way they did pronouns. And, um, And so it's really very accurate, the translation I use. And... Uh, you know, I just started asking questions. I said, have you ever studied Greek or Hebrew? He said, no. Have you ever studied how they do translations and the process they go through? No. I just like this translation, which was the one he'd always read. He said, I like my translation. So I want you to start preaching out of my translation. I, I gritted my teeth and I kind of held my 
tone. I said, well, you know, unfortunately, that's not your call. That's the Holy Spirit's call. I, I let the Holy Spirit make those decisions. And then he said, then he really played his cards out. He said, well, if you don't, we're leaving the church. I want to tell you, I had a little check in my spirit because what I didn't tell you was he was the biggest giver in the church. And money was tight. And I had that moment of, am I going to live in fear of man or not? The Bible's very clear. Don't live in the fear of man. Live only in the fear of the Lord. And I just simply said, well, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And that's not your call. And he kept his promise. He left the church. And that next Sunday, God, God's got a real sense of humor. That next Sunday, we had the largest offering the church has ever had before. And I could just hear God laughing up in heaven, saying, I'm your source, not man. You fear only me. You do what I tell you to do. I take care of the rest. So I learned a big lesson that day. He was trying to impose on me and the whole church his tradition. I, I've seen pastors, I'll get really vulnerable with you. I actually had to stop mentoring a pastor not too long ago. I just had to cut it off. Because he started adding to the gospel. That he said, um, they, you could only join their church by invitation. I don't know how that works. And you could only be a member if you spoke in tongues. And I said, man, dude, you're so way off on scripture on this. And um, he became very unteachable at that moment after I confronted him about it. And um, <clears throat> he actually said to me, he said, you really grieved me. So I can only assume that you really grieved God. I went, wow. That's a big presumption on your part. <laughs> and so I told him, I said, look, I think God's capable of talking to me personally. And he does all the time. If I grieve the Holy Spirit, I know it real quick. And I just have to tell you, when you tell me because you are grieved, you equate that that God must be grieved. You're on dangerous ground. And so I, I just had to stop. God, the Holy Spirit released me. He said, you know, I'll take care of this. I don't want you to get involved. So I had to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. When you impose anything else to salvation other than Jesus... You're way off base. Unbiblical. Not Christ honoring at all. 
you are saying that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was not enough. And that's why traditions can be so dangerous. So have your traditions, but don't equate them to salvation and don't impose them on other people. Okay? I think, I think that's what I'm learning from this passage. And I think this is what, and I, you know, I try to be vulnerable with y'all and I try to tell you, you know, truth based on how it has been in my life so I can speak out of my personal story. And um, so let's, let's pick back up verse 6. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Now, he was not saying he looked down upon Peter, James, and John. He wasn't saying that at all. He, he was just saying, hey... If they had imposed on me something that's not biblical, I wouldn't have accepted it. And uh, he says, it only, matters what God, it only matters what God thinks. And God shows no favorites. Verse 7, he said, instead they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. So it was different callings, same message. Verse 8, for the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continue their work with the Jews. That's the way. That's the way it is. We encourage each other. God's gifted you to reach certain people, people who you work with, like Logan, a student he goes to school with. God gave him that responsibility. God gives you the responsibility to reach the people of where you are. Where you are. Wherever you are, that's your responsibility of reaching those people. Verse 10. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which we have always been eager to do and have been doing. The reason they were having a problem in Jerusalem with the church there, all these people, a lot of Jews were coming to Jerusalem because they were hearing the gospel. And they would go because they wanted to be a part of that. But then they wouldn't leave and go back home. And so they stayed in Jerusalem, and most of them didn't have jobs, and especially the widows, and they didn't have a way of taking care of themselves. So the church became responsible for them, and so what resources the church had, they were spending a lot of resources in taking care of their people that were coming in from these out regions. And, and so money was tight. And so these other churches would give to the poor, or give, and Paul would go around and he would collect money and bring it back to them to help with that. And uh, in fact, some of the churches that Paul was serving in, and, you know, were very wealthy churches. <clears throat> but, but even Paul commended this one particular church that was actually a poor church. 
He said, you guys are amazing. You've given more than the, some of the wealthy churches because you gave out of such incredible love. <clears throat> so my question to you is, are there any traditions in your life that have you bound up? Do you find yourself judging somebody based on your traditions? You look at them through the lenses of your traditions? Are you judging people based on your traditions? I think there's a one word answer to that. Stop. Just stop doing that. Christ set them free. Why do you want to put them back in slavery? Well, at the end of each message during this series, we're going to pick out one of the words from the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> We've already done love. Jeff did joy last week. Today is the word peace. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. In our lives. Love, joy, peace. That inner calm that results from a confidence in your saving relationship with Jesus. And uh, it, it donates a binding together and uh, of having it together. Like joy, peace is not related to your circumstances. It's based on your relationship with Jesus. Peace is actually a gift from Christ. You, you cannot buy it at the Christian bookstore. I mean, it's a gift. And it's an inner response, a quietness, even in the face of adverse circumstances. <clears throat> and it actually defies human understanding. Look at John 14. Jesus says, I'm leaving, leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind, peace of heart. <clears throat> And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So it's a gift that Jesus gave you. But he also tells us in Philippians how to maintain this peace. So it's given to you, but you also have to maintain it. And Philippians 4 tells you how to do that. It says, don't worry about anything. So that means worry will rob you of peace. Instead, pray about everything. Prayer maintains your peace. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, after you've done that, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. A peace that you just cannot describe. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds, just like Jesus said, as you live in Christ Jesus. Your traditions will not bring you peace. It'll bring you bondage. So are you living in peace? If you're being robbed of that, it's a good chance that um, worries in there somewhere in your life. And here's how it works. When my prayer life is down here, my worry levels up here. 
But every time I pray, the more I pray, my worry goes down to where it's almost non-existent. It is impossible for your prayer and your worry level to both be at the top. It just doesn't happen. So when your worry's way up here, don't look at what is making you worry. Look at your prayer life. Get back to talking to God. And the more you talk to God, the more peace you're going to have. And as you tell him what you need, and you thank him in the process for what he's done, as you pray, God starts giving you a peace about what you really need. And you say, Don, you think you need this, but I want to tell you, your needs are really over here. And the more you pray about it, I'm going to get you over here where you need to be because this over here is a waste of your time. A waste of your time. You need to be here. So how's peace in your life? Is it up here? Or is it down here and worries over here? Dads, I want to pray for you. And during this last song, um, as the band sings this, this is really one of those songs, I want you to stay seated. I just want you to stay seated. We'll still take the offering. But I'll be here at the front, and this is really for the dads. Dads, if you are overwhelmed with worry about your kids, about your grandkids, because let's face it, that's something we do are easily worried about. I want to invite you to just come and start shifting that. I want you to come and bring your worries and give them to God. Just tell God, say, God, you know what I worry about. You know what I'm, what's really bothering me, and I want to give it to you. You're telling him what you need. That's what Philippians said to do. Tell God what you need. I need to, my, my, my child that's not living for you, I just need to give him back to you. My child that's running hard away from you, I know you, your love will bring him back. The fears I have for my kids in today's world, I know you care, you care about them more than I do. I just, I just want to, I want to be the kind of dad I need to be. I want to be the kind of husband I need to be. And it's hard. And I'm not sure. I don't have confidence in myself. Tell God that. And watch your worry begin to drift away and your peace overwhelm you. So I'm going to pray. The ushers are going to take the offering. You stay seated. And men, dads, just come to the front. Tell God what you need. And let his peace overwhelm you. Father, thank you for our men. I pray that they will just grow to be men of God. The passion we saw in Logan for a lost friend 
Let us each have that kind of passion. The seriousness in which we saw Jacob uh, think through this whole thing about Jesus so that it wasn't an emotional decision, but it was a decision of his heart and his mind, and, and you honored that. Lord, I just pray for our dads that they'll be set free from their, set free from their fears, from their worries, and that they'll trust you, and you will overwhelm them with your peace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.